Okay, let's read Romans chapter 12. Once again, verses 1 and 2. As you might imagine, or if you haven't been here, I'll, I'll tell you, this is the third message in a series. I called it the shining of the mind. This is part three. And as we get started, we'll read these first two verses of Romans 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now look, Let's just sum this up real fast. Paul is saying here he doesn't want us conformed to the world. Rather, he wants us to be transformed into something. Transformation has the idea of becoming something that we were not. We are becoming something. Basically, what we are becoming is these living sacrifices from verse 1. Now look, hear me out, folks. I think that we... I mean, based on what I'm hearing from Matt's, the response that we get from Matt's Sunday school class. I think in the reformed movement over the last 50 years, I think that there is a grasp that when it comes to justification, now what is justification? Justification is basically a right standing with God. God demands that people be sinless if they're going to dwell with Him. Our problem is, we are not sinless. Our problem is we're defiled with nothing but sin. It isn't only that we sin sometimes. The Bible says we do nothing but sin. It doesn't say that man is even capable of good. Because man isn't capable of loving God with all his heart, all his mind, and all his soul, even one instant in his entire life. Fallen man can't do it. And so justification is God declaring, declaring the sinner righteous. The man, the woman is ungodly and God by faith, by the faith of that individual, God declares them righteous. That's amazing. That's the heart of the Gospel. That's the heart of how man is accepted by God. Now, look. We come along and we say, man is not under the law when it comes to being made right with God. His acceptance by God is not based on the law. Because anybody who tries to be accepted by God based on the law is under a curse. Because cursed is everyone who hasn't kept every single specific thing in the book of the law and done it. And so, my acceptance is based entirely on the fact that Christ kept the law perfectly. And that when I come to God in faith, my sin is washed away and all the perfect obedience to the law that was demanded of me that I never did, Christ accomplished it on my part. And by faith, the moment a sinner trusts Christ, they are accepted on that basis before God. Now look, the Reformed community today has that down. That acceptance, justification is based on not what the law, not on keeping of the law. It's based on 
faith. The just shall live by faith in Jesus Christ. And so, based on my acceptance with God, I can easily say, you're not under law. Because if you're under law, you're under trouble. If you're under law, you're in your sin. You're in big trouble. I think we have a grasp on that. Not that we don't need to just trumpet that to this world. We do. But where I don't believe the church is clear is that the sanctifying process of the Christian is as well completed in a way in which we are not under law. And that throws shockwaves. Especially in the Reformed community where there's so much of the Puritan influence and they had some misconceptions. They had some unbiblical ideas. I've mentioned one of them. The Puritans would say or at least some of them would, and I won't stereotype all of them, but it was said among the Puritans that basically Christ, or the, Moses sends us to Christ, Christ sends us back to the law. That, folks, is not biblical. You will not find that taught in your Bibles. That is where the Reformed community has gone south. They've drifted from good, solid scriptural doctrine. Yes, they nail justification over and over and over. We're not under law. But listen, we're not under law when it comes to our sanctification as well. And that the church is not clear on. And I believe it's been to the detriment of the church. It's produced hardness. It's produced coldness. It's produced a lack of desire for evangelism. It's, it's produced a lack of the heart of Christ in many churches today, yes, they've got fine and refined doctrine and Puritan ethics being taught, but when it comes to working it out in the world, they're generally cold. Yes, they wear the right clothes, live in the right houses, go to the right churches, but they're not on fire for souls. They're not on fire for major and radical sacrifice for the sake of God. What is it that produces living sacrifices? It's not the law. And you cannot prove that it is from the Bible. In fact, it's in the very heart of the book of Romans. It's in the heart of the book of Galatians. It is in the heart of 2 Corinthians 3 and 4. It's in the heart of a place I want to take you in Philippians later. That it's not law. It's not just justification. It's when it comes to Christians becoming more and more like Christ, the Bible does not take us again and again and again back to the Ten Commandments. In fact, it doesn't talk about law. In fact, when it talks about becoming a fruitful Christian, it is saying in that very context, you're not under the law. And that we do not... I am convinced, based on the feedback I am seeing, from, I am convinced... We don't understand it. And so hear me carefully. Listen, if I get done preaching today and what I said was a stretch, if what I say is not what you see from God's Word, come and take issue with me. God help us. All I want to be is biblical. 
And I think that in many ways the Puritans were not. And I mean, they are, they were righteous men and they had lots of things good and right. And I would not discourage anybody from reading them. That is not my agenda. But we are not to be puritanical. We are to be biblical. First and foremost, we must be biblical. And so, here it is. Living sacrifice. Brethren, this isn't optional. Living sacrifice. You know what the Bible says? Without holiness, what? No one shall see the Lord. You know what holiness is? Separated unto God. You know what living sacrifice is? Separated unto God. Folks, this is not a small matter. If you're not a living sacrifice, you're not going to see the Lord. Without holiness, no one sees it. You see, it's not just that you get justification in the package when you're saved. It's not just in the courtroom of heaven you're declared righteous. It is also that the moment that happens, the power of the Spirit is unleashed in your life and God begins transforming you. That's what we see. Transformation. Okay, how does the transformation take place? Now listen. We had a young lady in this church. Yes, she's here. She wore a nose ring. That's not Stephanie. She wears one too. But listen. Not long after, this young lady joins the church. Another young lady comes up to her and says, you need to get rid of that nose ring. And you know what? It made me angry. Now, I didn't know about this story at the time, but let me tell you this one, because I came across this since then. Martin Lloyd-Jones. There's a guy with a great big handlebar curly old mustache. Now, we don't see him much today. Once in a while you do. But they used to be popular another time. You know, Lloyd-Jones, he's ministering back in the 50s, 60s, whatever. There's a guy with this great big handlebar. And when this guy was lost, he would say, you know, he'd be in the bar and he'd be drinking and he'd tell other guys, mine's bigger than yours. Oh no, mine's bigger than yours. And they'd come to blows. This guy, they'd be punching each other. Well, this guy somehow comes in sits under the preaching of Martin Lloyd-Jones, and he's wonderfully converted. Well, okay, Jones preaches one day, goes to the door, and you know, that's pretty typical in a lot of churches. The preacher goes to the door and he greets everybody as they're leaving. So he's greeting everybody as they're leaving, and who should be coming along but big old mustache guy, been converted. And his mustache is gone. And guess what Lloyd-Jones did? He got angry. He said, okay, which one of the people in this church told you to cut that off? You know what? Let me ask you a question. Why do you think I'd be angry with somebody going after somebody with a nose ring? Why do you think that, I w- that Martin Lloyd-Jones would be angry about a mustache? You say, well, in my estimation, a mustache like that or a nose ring like that is worldly. So why would you get angry? You know what? There was a church that Craig and I attended early on. First first one I was a member of. I think probably he was too, at least as a Christian. You know what? I can remember what Craig and I were laughing about this the other day, but it really isn't funny. I mean, I can remember being in there one day and I'm wearing these pants and, and the pastor says, homosexuals design your pants. In other words, don't wear those pants here anymore. In fact, 
the basic feel you got when you came through the doors is that women needed to wear long dresses, they needed to wear head coverings, men needed to wear clothes not designed by homosexuals. Folks, that is not what produces living sacrifices. That is not the issue. And it is worth being angry over. Because that's not the heart of the matter. I remember too, I don't think the Seitzmas are here today, but when I first moved here, I worked for the Seitzmas. Lived with them actually in the beginning. And I remember Johnny and Ruth Ann, they were telling me one day that when they lived over in Florida, they worked over there, worked with Chapel Library Ministries before they came here to San Antonio, joined Community Baptist Church south of town. They worked over there with L.R. Shelton. And where they lived out in the country, they lived among a Mennonite community. Well, there's like some friction in one of the families. I think, I think there was a breakdown in the marriage. or They're having family problems. Well, you know what happens... The elders walk into the house and one of them says, I know what the problem is already. You know what it was? The curtains. He said, it's the curtains. Now, I don't know what it was. Just they had them or they were too pretty. But basically, here's a leader of a church and he says, the problem with the marriage has to do with the curtains. Now, hey, let me tell you something. We may laugh at that, Let me tell you something. Somebody comes through this door. They're wearing a hat in a way that I don't especially appreciate or doesn't look exactly what I think a Christian ought to look like. They're wearing pants that are too tight or too low or something about their hair or the jewelry or they've got piercing somewhere that I don't like. You know what? We can laugh at the Mennonites. God forbid we become the kind of church that wants to fix up the external. You see what Paul is saying? Living sacrifices come from something. They come from a renewal of the mind. Transformation on the inside. Brethren, that's the heart of the matter. It's not about what pants they wear. It's not about how tight they are. It's not where they have piercings, whether it's here or there or in the time. It's not the issue. It's not about big old squirrely handlebar mustache. That's not the point. When people walk through this door, we can't be looking at making changes to the outside. It's a Mind matter. It's an inside matter. It's a renewal of the inner man. A renewal. We must be transformed. Listen, you can wear the most conservative clothing and live in the right house and you're no more a living sacrifice than anything else. You can shed all the piercings, shed the mustaches, and not be living sacrifices. God forbid, brethren, that we become a church where everything is fitting in and conforming to the outside. Now look, That's not to say that, ladies, the Bible presses you to be modest. And obviously, we are not in a place where, you know, obviously Christianity is not about focusing all the attention on us and dressing with all the glitz and the glory so that, you know, we're in a very worldly sense drawing the attention to ourselves. But folks, dress codes don't work. That's not at the heart of the matter. We need to go after people's minds. We need to change mindsets. We need transformation by the renewal of the mind. Brethren, I'll tell you this. 
Again, I was in a church in the past. I could tell. A lot of people in that church did a lot of things. You know why? Because they feared the pastor. And I knew full well that those people, when the pastor wasn't around, didn't live up to that standard. You know why? Because it was the pastor's standard. You see, folks, when we... This, this is the idea here. Transformation. Becoming more like Christ. It's not by nailing lists of rules, dress codes, a standard that we are impressing upon people. If we're not achieving this internal transformation, then it's no good. It's no good. The most important thing is to get people thinking with a certain mindset. Brethren, renewal of the mind. It's a mind matter. It's how we think. New ways of thinking. The guy that doesn't dress right. The guy that, the, the lady that's, that's not dressing right. The external things that, that has been leftovers from a worldly day. And, and I'm not necessarily saying that all those things are worldly. I'm not saying that having a nose ring, I mean, who are you to determine that a nose ring isn't right, but earrings are? I mean, come on. I mean, basically, look, what we're interested in is not having, you know, ringless noses. What we're interested in is having minds that are geared to being living sacrifices. I would rather God give us a whole church full of all the women wearing six rings in their nose if we were unleashing a torrent of missionaries to take the Gospel and passion and sacrifice to give to the orphan and the widow and a hunger for the Word of God. I mean, well, don't you agree? It's a heart matter. It's an inner matter. These are mindsets. So, transformation. Look look there. Romans 12.2 Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Just think about that. Carlos, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Doesn't that just seem like the most impossible thing you've ever heard of? Be transformed? As though what? Can I just reach inside my head and make it different than it is? Do I have that ability? Paul, what in the world are you saying to me? If you're like me, you want steps, don't you? I mean, I'm geared that way. Give me a program. I mean, give me the checklist. I want to be able to go down and figure this out. Look, if you tell me, Mark tells me, Brother Tim, would you paint that wall for me? Okay, I can, I can think about that, right? Okay, what do I need to do? I can go over to Home Depot, buy a can of paint, buy a paintbrush, come over here, put a drop cloth down there, get the screwdriver, pry the top off, mix it up, put the brush in, start brushing it, get done. You, can, you know, you got that figured out. Okay, be transformed by the renewal of your mind? That's like, okay... Where do I go? How do I start? What in the world? It's, it's like saying to Freddie, Freddie, transform your knee. Just let your knee be transformed. Yeah, what's he going to do? That's saying that to Connie. I mean, it's, it's, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, for all that, for all that, when you come to Romans 12.2, do you get the idea that Paul is telling us to do this and he's just the implication is it's impossible? There's no hope? You shouldn't even try? There's nothing to do? That isn't the idea that you get. You don't get this feeling that, 
This isn't language of uncertainty. He's saying be transformed. It's obvious he expects this to happen. So let's ask the question, how does it happen? How do I do this? What do I do? What do I have to do to do what Paul's telling me to do? I mean, transformation by the renewal of the mind. Here's what I want to do. I want to develop very quickly for you, I want to develop a theology of transformation. That's, I think we really need that today. I think the church is lacking that. Well, here's, here's a key. Romans 12.2 is one of two places in the Bible that the word transformation is used describing the transformation of the Christian. Remember I showed you before that word shows up four times in the New Testament? Twice, it's regarding Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration. We'll set those two aside. So let's consider the other ones. One is 12.2 of Romans. The other one is 2 Corinthians 3.18. I've mentioned it, but let's turn there now and look at it more closely. I want to look at this verse and develop very quickly a theology of transformation. I want you to see some things that are true about it. 2 Corinthians 3.18. Let's read it together. And we all... Now obviously this isn't speaking about every single person on the face of the earth. The letter to the Corinthians is addressed to the church at Corinth. This is Christians. We all, all Christians, with unveiled face. Now you say, that. well that's strange. But well, it's... Paul's drawing from the context here. He's been talking about the fact that Moses veiled his face. And then he gets into this veil talk and he says that when somebody comes to the Lord, the veil that's over their faces, the veil that kept them from seeing things right, is removed. And he says Christians, they don't have a veil on their face. And what is that unveiled face allow them to do? To behold the glory of the Lord. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. Now there's, there's the word. Into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Or from glory to glory, as the old King James says. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now, I have four observations I'm going to develop four steps to our theology of transformation. First one, consider this, brethren. What is it we're being conformed into or transformed into? That's our word. The image of Christ. You guys all see that there? doesn't take a Greek scholar to figure that out. We are being transformed. What are the exact words used? Into the same image. Well, what's that? Image means into the likeness of something. Image. It's an image deal. Transformation has to do with becoming a certain image. The same image. Well, what's the image? What is it we're beholding? We're beholding the glory of the Lord and thereby being transformed into the same image. So obviously the same image is this glorious image of the Lord. Right? I mean, Everybody sees that. That's where we're headed. Now, brethren, don't just pass over that really quickly. Look down there at 2 Corinthians 4.4. Look at the last phrase. Who is Christ? 
What does it say in the last clause there of 2 Corinthians 4.4? Christ is the image of God. Let me tell you something, brethren. We would not believe this if, if God's Word didn't tell us. Christ is the image of God. Christians are being transformed into the image of Christ who is the image of God. Now let me just tell you something. Just to give you a comparison or a reference point in your mind. Twice in the book of Revelation, John is experiencing the vision. You guys are aware of that. Twice what did he do that he wasn't supposed to do? He fell down before somebody. Before angels! Let me tell you something. What happened to, to John is he was suddenly confronted by a being that compelled him by its majesty and beauty and magnificence to fall down. He was stunned by the glory of this creature, and it twice he fell down. Even after being told once not to do it, he did it again. Why? Because in the presence of such a being, he was constrained. The angels are never said to have the image of Christ. It's a lesser glory. And yet in that lesser glory, a man is compelled to buy Christian. Do you really believe this? Do you really get this? What it is you're going to become and are becoming? Like I say, we wouldn't believe this if it wasn't told to us in God's Word. We are becoming something of such glory that our minds can't even go there. Brethren, this, this is staggering. But here's the thing that I want to make clear. We are being transformed into the image of Christ. So, when Paul says in Romans 12, 2, be transformed by the renewal of your mind, what do we know immediately renewal of the mind means? The mindset of Christ. We basically are renewing our minds that our minds might bear the glory of Christ. That our minds might be like Christ's mind. It is His image that we are being transformed into. And so, the renewal of the mind means having a mind that is becoming like the mind of Christ. It means Christ's mindsets are ours. Christ's way of thinking. Christ's opinions are mine. That is what this is all about. Okay, that's one. Second, I want you to notice something else here. Christian... We all, all us Christians, notice this, have been transformed into the same image? Will be transformed into the same image? What's the verb there? Are being. Now make sure you see what this means. We are being transformed into Christ's image. It's a process happening when? Right now. Okay? We are being transformed into this image how? What does it say next? From one degree of glory to the next. Or from glory to glory. You know what I want you to see? 
When you think transformation, think we're moving towards the image of Christ. That's one. Two, when you hear transformation, think glorification. You know what the Christian is doing right now? They are receiving more and more, one degree, glory to glory. Now look, most Christians, if you ask them about glorification, what are they going to tell you? Happens when? In the future. But that's not what God's Word teaches. Glorification is a process that starts the moment you are saved. Glory to glory. Now look, I know that we're not going to take on the new glorified body that is made like unto His body until that time when Christ returns. And we, we see that in Scripture. But listen, that is not to say that your inner man and your mind is not being glorified presently. It is. That's why I called this the shining of the mind. The glory is being written into your very fabric and core and being right now. So, one, transformation is about moving to the image of Christ. Two, transformation is about glorification. Glory, glory, glory. (coughs) Third thing I want you to see, how does transformation come about? You guys look there. How are we being transformed? With an unveiled face, we do what? We behold the glory of the Lord. As we behold the glory of Christ the Lord, we more and more shine with that glory. Now look back up in 2 Corinthians 3.7. Look back up at verse 7. And just very quickly, you can see something there. Israelites couldn't look on the face of Moses, right? Do you remember about that? In Exodus 34.29, let me read to you. Don't turn there. The skin of his face, Moses, shone because he had been talking with God. You guys see? You look back up there in verse 7. You know what you find? Look what it says. Verse 7. The ministry of death carved in letters on stone. What's that? What was carved in letters on stone? The Ten Commandments, folks. You know what the Ten Commandments is? What does it call it? A ministry of death. Now, it came with glory. Thank you, sir. It came with glory. What happened? Moses was going up on Mount Sinai. He actually asked to see God. God said He let His goodness pass before him. Moses would come down off that mountain after talking with God, after having God's glory pass before him, after receiving these Ten Commandments, after these manifestations. And you know what happened? His face shone with the glory of God. And you know what? The Apostle Paul's drawing from that. And he's saying, you know what? It's the same way. Even in the Old Covenant, Moses' face did not shine because he had been looking at the Ten Commandments written on tablets of stone. It came because he had been gazing upon God. 
as much as he could see of God. He couldn't look at his face or he would die. But he definitely had God pass before him in such a way that he could tolerate and he could see. And he'd come down off that mountain and his face would glow in a way that terrified the Israel. It was that bright. And what Paul is doing when he gets down to verse 18 is he's drawing on that type of picture. The same phenomena happens in the Christian life. And what is it? Here's what I want you to see. Our sanctification is not happening as we gaze on the law. It's happening because that law is a ministration of death. It happens as we gaze on the glory of the Lord. And what's happening is the same phenomena is resulting. We are shining back more and more of the glory of Christ as we behold His glory. Now you want to talk about transformation here. Transformation is about moving into the image of Christ. It's a process of glorification. And it happens as we see the glory of Christ. Not as we perpetually dwell and meditate on external commandments. Not that there isn't a place there. But you notice the distinct absence of such talk from Paul when he's talking about transformation. When he talks about transformation, the law isn't seen as a helpful, useful thing. He sees it as a ministration of death. And he doesn't say, get your eyes on the law, and you can't find that in the New Testament. It is get your eyes on Jesus Christ. It's as you gaze at Him that you begin to reflect that glory. Now that's the third thing. The last thing I want you to see is this. What does the last clause of verse 18 say? Who does this transformation come from? The Spirit. The Spirit who is the Lord is what our ESV says. Actually, the who is isn't in the original. It's basically this way. The Spirit, the Lord. That's where it comes from. Okay. That, there's, our, there's our quick theology of transformation. Now let's bring that back over to Romans 12 too. We're to be transformed by the renewal of the mind. Okay. If transformation comes from who, who does it come from? Spirit of God. Romans 12.2, he says, be transformed. So, who does this transformation come from? The Spirit of God. Okay, what do I do? Sit in the chair and do nothing? Because it's the Spirit's work, is there nothing for me to do? Do I basically hit the long chair, lounge chair, the lawn chair, sit back and say, Praise to God, He's given me the Holy Spirit. He's going to work righteousness in me and all I have to do is sit here and do nothing. Now listen, Romans 8.13 gives us a little insight into living the Christian life and into this transformation. The second half of that verse says, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Okay, who puts to death the deeds of the body? If by the Spirit you put to death. Who's doing it? Who? And the, it's, it's not an either or. It's both. The Spirit of God does it 
as the Christian does it. So, when we talk about being transformed by the renewal of our mind, yes, it's by the Spirit. But, there is something we can do. Okay, what can we do? I'm going to give you two quick steps here for what we do. Okay, when I was in St. Louis just recently, Charles Leiter told me a story. He and his wife visited Wales back in the 80s. And I think, I think, the lady's name was Mary Jones, if I remember right. Well, okay, Charles and Mona go visit Mary Jones. And she had a husband there too, I mean, Mr. Jones. I don't know what his name is. Um, and, and here's the thing. They had these mountains. And they have mountains all over Wales. It's a mountainous region. Water would come off the tops of those mountains, probably from snow melt. And what they would do is channel this water coming off the top of the mountains into these pipes. And those pipes would go steeply down the side of that mountain. Guess what they put at the bottom? They put a turbine there. Well, okay, all this water rushes down, spins this turbine. Guess what? They had power for their homes there. Well, Mary was telling the lighters that they had all these brownouts and blackouts. It wasn't because the water at the top of the mountain dried up. Guess what it was? They had a grating over the top upper end of this pipe. Now, can you imagine why they put that there? They wanted to keep sticks and stuff flowing in the river and dead animals and whatever other thing, all the junk that would come, they didn't want it going into the pipes and clogging the pipes or shooting all the way through and damaging the turbine at the other end. So it was like a filter. They put it up there. The brownouts came, the blackouts came, not because the water dried up. You know why it came? Because the grating was clogged. Let me tell you this. You want a surefire process for transformation by the renewal of your mind? One, keep the grating clean. In other words, what? Well, who is it that you must renew the mind by? The Spirit. You know what Paul says? Don't grieve the Spirit. Don't quench the Spirit. Look at First Thessalonians 5 and Ephesians 4. You find those texts. Don't do it. Well, why not? Because the very power behind your ability to make this happen rests on the Spirit of God unleashing its power into your life. You know what? The Spirit of God is not diminished in power because He's grieved. Just like at the top of that mountain, there was no diminishing of the water supply. The water was still rushing down off the top of that mountain. The power was still there. What was the problem? The problem was the grating was clogged. And it couldn't get in there. And I'm telling you this, Paul is serious when he says not to grieve the Spirit of God. Because you grieve the Spirit, the very power behind your ability to renew and be transformed is gone. Remember what quench means. Quench is what you do to a fire when you throw water on it. Quench. Fire has energy. It has heat. It has light. You need the heat and the light and the power of the Spirit of God transforming you, and you quench that Spirit, you're in trouble. And God forbid, if any of you have sin in your life, 
or unresolved issues with a brother or sister, you're allowing something you know God doesn't want. Be rid of it. Your way. Remember, the renewal of the mind is immediately the connection to being living sacrifices. Because if you don't think right, you're not going to be a living sacrifice. When you've got all these worldly mindsets running through your mind, you are not a living sacrifice. Because you will not think in such ways that God would have you to think. The second thing, and I'll use my illustration, put the turban where the water flows. In other words, if I want to power the neighborhood and I put this turban in my barn and yet all the water's rushing down through this pipe and spills out the end of the pipe and just goes off and forms another little river or whatever and the turban's not there but the turban's over in the barn, that doesn't do me any good, does it? You want to put the turban where the power is. And where is the power? In 2 Corinthians 3.18, we saw it. It is beholding the glory of the Lord. Listen, you want to renew your mind? Put the turban where the Spirit is working. Put yourself right in the place. Not only don't grieve the Spirit, but then put yourself where you know that the Spirit works to transform. And where is that? It's gazing at Christ. Listen, if you're not looking at Christ, and where does He most magnificently shine? The four Gospels. There's no question about it. All, you, all Scriptures speak of Him. You've got to be in the Word of God. But especially the Gospels. Do not be far from the Gospels ever in your Christian life. That is where this engine, this mighty Spirit of God is pleased to work. It is as we behold Christ. You know, I was just thinking last night as I was, as I was praying, Lord, I prayed about all number of things and I was starting to turn towards the house and I thought, no, I don't want to go back in yet. Lord, would You please reveal Yourself right now to me some way? Just in a, in a little way, Lord. Would You just visit me right now before I go in? Just some way. And you know what occurred to me right then? If I was out here specifically meditating on a verse of Scripture that had to do with Christ, that would have been the way. But see, I was wanting God to visit me in a relative vacuum. And it had suddenly occurred to me, no, the way, the way to receiving what I want to receive, the way to greater manifestations of the Spirit's power in my life, and, and sense of the presence of God is meditating on Christ. And so I went right home and I, I jumped into a text that had to do with Christ because I realized that's the connection. So, what do we need to do? Keep the grate clean. Put the turban where the power is. Listen, if you think this is my invention, you've missed it. What I am wanting you to do is see clearly that when it comes to our sanctification, it is not running to law, 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 law. It is running to Christ, 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 Christ. The reason I'll show you that I'm not making this up is because what I have just said to you, Paul verifies. Where? 
Well, I'll give you one place. There's other places we could look, but I love this. Everybody turn right now to Philippians chapter 2. This is where we're going to end. Philippians chapter 2. I want you to see that I'm not making this up. I want you to see that this is exactly how Paul thinks. This is exactly the route Paul takes when he wants to see the thinking and the mindset of the church of Christ transformed. He doesn't run to law. He runs to Christ. It's what I want you to see. Let's read this together. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 3. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit. But wait, you know what? I need to tell you something first. Go to verse 5. And then I'm going to be, go back and read this over. But I want to, I want to point something out. Verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves. It's, it's the preposition in. And I'm not certain why the ESV translators do what they do here. But have this mind in yourselves. All the translations say that. They say among yourselves. That's fine. Let it be among ourselves. And it may be because it's a plural pronoun after that. But look, which is... Our ESV has the word yours. It is a possessive pronoun. Let me tell you something. That word, strike it out of your Bible. That word yours. You say, I don't like to write my... You're telling me to change my Bible? I am telling you to change it. Strike it out of your Bible. You know why? It's not there. There is no possessive pronoun there in the original. And the ESV is the only translation. You know what's pathetic here? Is even the NIV has this right. The ESV is the only translation that I believe even exists or that I came across that would even insert the word. And it doesn't even make sense in light of the context. What Paul is saying there is let that mind of Christ be in you. The mind of Christ needs to be in us. Let that mind be in you which is in Christ. Not which is yours in Christ. There's no yours there. The ESV translators dreamt it up. And I don't know why. They must, somebody had an agenda to do something there that just simply should not have been added. Strike it, folks. It's no good. And it messes, it really messes with the whole meaning here. Okay, now I'm going to go back to Philippians 2 and verse 3. Do nothing from rivalry. Or conceit. So you see what he's pressing upon the child of God. No rivalry. Don't be competitive with each other. Don't be conceited. Don't be prideful around each other. But in humility, count. Now that's an interesting word. That, that word means esteem or regard or consider. Think. There needs to be thinking going on in your mind. Think about, count, esteem, regard, consider others more significant than yourselves. Verse 4, let each of you look. Again, it's the idea, not looking with the eyes. It's a word that means contemplate. Contemplate. Think not only about your own interests, but also give yourself to the interests of others. Five, have this mind among yourselves, 
which is in Christ Jesus. You see what he's saying? You see what's happening here? He says, okay, I want to see the growth of a child of God in the way that I want them to have renewed mindsets. I want them to have a mind where they're not always running off and thinking about their own self and they're just self-absorbed and selfish. I want them to have a mind where they are contemplating the needs of others. Now, I want them to have renewed minds. He doesn't say, okay, let me go back and show you the Ten Commandments. What he does is he says, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ. What mind? What's he talking about? Well, he goes on there. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. Okay, you know what? Last week I told you guys, do not be conformed to this world. You know what? That, that may be Paul's effort to say, don't clog the grating. Don't grieve the Spirit by constantly sitting under worldly wisdom of the radio stations and the internet and the news and the newspaper and all that. Don't be conformed to that. We talked about some of the ways, the mindsets of the world. What are they? They think they're going to live forever. Mindset of the world is judgment day doesn't exist. Mindset of the world, God is small, man is big. Mindset of the world is that pleasures are to be found here in this world. I asked my wife that question. Ruby, what do you think is, a, is a, a mindset of the world? And you know what she told me? Self, self, self. That's a mindset of the world. What are some of the sayings of the world that have to do with self? Believe in yourself. What are some others? It's all about me. If I don't take care of number one, no one else is. You see, the mindset of the world is just like that. Paul says, I need a different mindset in God's people. Where am I going to take them? I'm going to take them to, these, to the Mosaic Law? No. What I'm going to do is I know this. Transformation comes as we gaze upon Christ. So what he does is he doesn't drag up a bunch of Old Testament laws. What he does is he sets Christ before them. He says, look. Look at Christ's mindset. You want to know who exemplifies verse 4? You want to know who exemplifies one who did not put his own interests above and before the interests of others? And his whole point is here, he came and bore that cross. He humbled himself. He who was equal to God did not count that equality. Something to be grasped and to be basically the leverage by which he could say, nope, this, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not forsaking my own comfort for their good. Paul says, consider that. He went to the cross for your sake. That's a picture of it. And you see what happens? The Christian looks at that and they see the mind of Christ. They see in that Listen, the world is all about self. The commercials, 
You buy this car, it's going to make you look good. You are going to get this woman. You, you know, this, the, all the world's financial planning today, it's about you. It's about your security. It's about this. You know what the Bible says? Put other interests of other people ahead of your own. Or don't just concern yourself with your own interests, but concern yourself with their interests as well. Now, that's not to say that Jesus Christ didn't have gain out of it, because when you get down to the end of this deal, His Father highly exalted Him giving him a name and the buzz every name, every knee's gonna bow, every tongue's gonna fast. Is there glory in the end of this? You better believe it. And the Bible, what is it? Matthew 23 says the same thing about us. If you will humble yourself, you'll be what? You'll be exalted. Listen, it's not to say that there isn't any exaltation in the end of this, but the mindset of the world is selfish. It's self, 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 self. And you know what? When you think about all that follows in Romans 12, does this mindset not undergird it? How in the world are you going to weep with those who weep? Unless you're putting the interests of others right there up there and prioritizing them. How are you going to let your love be genuine? How are you going to show brotherly affection? How are you going to cater to the needs of the brethren if indeed you're not putting their needs up there? Some of you, I talked about this before, you take, you take, you take, you take. But what Paul's saying is, Look at Christ. Look how He gave of Himself. He humbled Himself. He who had the glory of an equal with God the Father, He humbled Himself and He robed Himself with the rags of mankind. And not only that, He humbled Himself all the way to becoming obedient to that cross. Set your minds on that. Let the mindset of Christ... You know what that looks like, folks? It looks like I get up in my day. Stop spending your whole life about your financial security. About your home. Your education. Your health. Your stuff. You see, the, the living sacrifice isn't a person just absorbed with their own education, their own children, their own house, their own car, their own insurance, their own security, their own well-being. But you know what? When I get a paycheck, I'm going to esteem others. Not just am I going to esteem themselves, I'm going to count them greater. And when a sister Connie all of a sudden needs meals or needs financial help with her knee or brother Freddie comes along, what I'm telling you is this. Brethren, if you'll just get the heart of this, it isn't, let me go show you the Ten Commandments. That's not what's going to produce this savor, this aroma of living sacrifice in this church. It's not law, 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 law. It's Christ. It's look at His mindset. As Matt talked about earlier, yes, love fulfills the law, but it's a heart of love. You pound out the Ten Commandments, pound out the law. You know what you get? You get people that are sticking each other and biting and devouring. But when you set Christ before them, and that becomes the focal point, our gaze is on Him. Oh, He had... Brethren, in 1 Peter 4.1, it says, arm yourself with the mind of Christ. Arm yourself with His way of thinking. Brethren, we got to arm ourselves with this. You know what that means? That means that by the Spirit, we strive. We wake up in the morning and we're thinking, not just, how am I going to pay my bills? How's my sister going to pay her bills? How's brother so-and-so that lost his job going to pay his bills? How are the pains going to take care of their situation when they just had a fire? 
Like I say, some of you take, 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 take. You don't think about others. It's all about you. It's all about how it's going to fit into your life and be for your good. That's not the living sacrifice life. Brethren, I've got to concern myself with the health of others, with the needs of others. And it says this very glory of Christ is worked into our life. Brethren, the mind of Christ. Christ came into this world and you know what He says? I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. And when you let that mind begin to permeate you and you go to the Gospels and watch Him. Watch Him giving, 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 giving. And let the Spirit of God burn that. Put the turbans where the water is. And you begin to see that and that glory and it begins to reflect off your face. And you go out into the world and you deal with people in the workplace and deal with people in the church where you begin to see needs and you think, God gave me a paycheck not just to consume upon my own needs, not just to lay up in store, storing up treasure on this earth like He told me not to do, but I'm going to just let this, I'm taking the cork out of the bottom. And when I see needs in others, I'm going to use up my funds, my resources, my stuff, even if i got to go. And you know what? The early church caught on to that. They got pieces of land. Man, there's brothers and sisters in need. We're selling it. Oh, that's my favorite piece of property by the lake. You know what? Living sacrifice sells the piece of property by the lake. How in the world, how in the world are you going to answer the Lord when there are needs and you kept the tight fist. You know that's what James says. That's what John says in 1 John. How are you even going to call yourself real, folks? If you see a brother or sister in need, you say, well, God bless you. Go be warmed. you got resources. And you're just locking them away for your security. What I say is what Paul said. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. He didn't hold on to it, folks. Let the bottom fall out. Let it just, we got to, the, the very mindset, the very heart of living sacrifice is being like Christ, letting that mind be in us. Giving, giving. All that we're going to look at in Romans 12, it pours out of this. You will weep with those who weep and laugh with those who laugh when their life and what's going on in their life means more to you than what's going on in your life. Do not be conformed to this world. This world trains us to be selfish and self-absorbed. But the mind of Christ teaches us something altogether different. And the Spirit of God works this not through this endless absorption with the law. As good as it is. As righteous as it is. The Bible says, get your eyes on Christ. That's the only thing. I mean, I, do, I can't imagine what's at the... I'm imagining that this is probably what fuels the things Matt's been saying to you. And it's what fuels what I say right now. There's no attack on the law. What it is, it's the absolute necessity of keeping Christ first and foremost and central 
gazing there. This is the heart of real Christianity. This is it. You cannot describe the Christian life any more thoroughly than living sacrifice. And you will not be that living sacrifice God has called you to be unless you're being transformed by the renewal of your mind. And you will not be transformed by the renewal of your mind unless the Spirit of God is doing it. The Spirit of God won't do it where He's grieved. And the Spirit of God doesn't do it any other place than by gazing on Christ. That is a fundamental theology of transformation. May God help us to live it. May God help us to know it. Amen. You're dismissed.